We read God's Word this morning in the Gospel according to Matthew, reading two different sections. The first is in chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Part of the Sermon on the Mount, at least that's its common designation, but especially you should understand it's a sermon about how the citizens of the kingdom are to live toward each other. And that thought will be pertinent as we will see presently this morning. Matthew 5, 33-37 Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Then we go to Matthew 23, reading verses 13 through 22. Jesus is now addressing a multitude, and although it's a multitude including his disciples, he, in the presence of many, singles out the hypocrites among them, as he does in verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for neither ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer, therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold? And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift... Or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereon. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. And have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. We read the word of God this far. We consider the instruction of Lord's Day 37 of our Hyderabad Catechism as it continues an exposition of the third commandment.
May we then swear religiously by the name of God. Yes, either when the magistrates demanded of the subjects, or when necessity requires us thereby to confirm fidelity and truth to the glory of God and the safety of our neighbor. For such an oath is founded on God's word, and therefore was justly used by the saints both in the Old and New Testament. May we also swear by saints or any other creatures. No, for a lawful oath is calling upon God as the only one who knows the heart, that he will bear witness to the truth and punish me if I swear falsely, which honor is due to no creature. Beloved saints of Jesus Christ, we've been taught in the third commandment of the law that we may not take the name of Jehovah in vain. As we noticed last week, that meant that we are to use it no otherwise than with fear and reverence. When we use it in prayer, when we use it in the reading of the scriptures, when we sit under the preaching of the word, And indeed, in all of our life, the name of God must be used only with fear and reverence. In that connection, we were reminded of ways in which we violate the third commandment. But we were not, we did not focus on every imaginable way. And even some things pointed out in in Lord's Day 36, we didn't focus on at length last week. For it begins that we, not only by cursing, or perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God. In other words, the third commandment, at least the Heidelberg Catechism's explanation of it, gets immediately at the use of the name of God in very particular instances. The use of oaths. And that's how Lord's Day 36 begins. That's why 37 begins with the question, May we then swear religiously by the name of God. May we use an oath at all. And that becomes the subject of our lesson matter today. What if somebody asks you, in a very concrete instance, to take the name of God on your lips in an oath, to swear by Him to the truth of what you're saying? May you do that. Or may you say, no, I don't swear oaths. That would be to take the name of God in vain. What's the Reformed guidance and what's the biblical guidance in answer to that question? What makes the question so pressing is, first of all, the fact that Jesus in Matthew 5 and 23 does severely rebuke the scribes and Pharisees for using oaths wrongly, that's Matthew 23, and in Matthew 5 seems to indicate we should not swear oaths at all. Is that the proper way to understand the words of our Lord? In the second place, what makes the matter so pressing for us is that although we don't swear oaths every day, yet suddenly we find ourselves maybe in a court of law where a magistrate puts us under oath, Or maybe even something as simple as getting our marriage license 
or in some other way doing business where somebody requires us to swear to the truth of what we've said, may we do so. Those are the reasons for a separate Lord's Day on the question of swearing oaths and a separate Lord, a second Lord's Day on an exposition of the third commandment. That therefore becomes the topic of our entire lesson for this morning as we go to the school of Jesus Christ and are taught by him in the school of the law the lesson about swearing oaths. Notice first, oaths that God permits. Second, oaths that God hates. And third, speech that God loves. Let's be clear first on what an oath is. An oath is a statement in which one appeals to God to bear witness to the truth of what one is saying. And as the Heidelberg Catechism says it, in concluding its exposition in Lord's Day 37, when I take that oath on my lips and ask God to bear witness to the truth of what I'm saying, I do ask Him to punish me if I swear falsely. If I'm lying while using His name in defense of my lie, I ask Him to punish me. That is an oath. And therefore, because it's an appeal to God and a use of the name of God, it usually involves the form of saying, as God lives, as Jehovah is God, or some other such thing. I want to be a bit technical for a moment, but not, I don't think, unhelpfully technical, in making a distinction now between a promise and a vow and an oath. Because there are some who say that oaths really are promises and really are vows, and they're all one and the same thing. Let's see a distinction. And the purpose of the distinction is not to say that in some instances we need not speak truth. Of course we must speak truth in every instance. But the use of the name of God to bear witness to the truth of which we speak is a very particular scenario. So a promise is simply an assurance to you or to somebody else that I will do what I said or that I speak truth. That's just a promise. I'm telling you I will do this. A vow is a very specific kind of promise. It's really a promise made to God. It may well be made in the presence of many people, such as a marriage vow is made before an audience, a baptism vow, a vow made at confession of faith, are made in the presence of the church of Jesus Christ, but essentially it is a promise to God that I will conduct myself as He requires me to in a very specific component of my life, in my marriage, in the raising of my children, etc. That's a vow. There is really no need to confirm a vow, a promise made to God, with an oath by taking the name of God on our lips. There is no need because the very nature of a vow is that it is already a promise made to God in the presence of God very consciously in His presence. But when I make a promise to a neighbor... 
there are times when I add an oath to that promise or confirm the promise with an oath. And at that point, I directly use the name of Jehovah and some oath formula to say that the promise I made was not made lightly. I'm going to call God as my witness. That is an oath, and of that we are speaking this morning. The question is then, is an oath permissible? One reason why the question comes up in question 101 of the Catechism is that the Anabaptists of the Reformation Day were insistent that we may not swear oaths. In fact, in their confession made in the early 1530s, and not early 1530s, in the 1530s, so relatively early in the Reformation era, a confession that basically said we stand for seven things, none of them doctrinal, all of them practical, if you will, they said, no swearing oaths. And so the question is relevant. In Germany, in the Netherlands, these Anabaptists are found, and the question is, are they right? Their reason why they said we may not swear oaths is that Jesus said, let your communication be yes, yes. When you say yes, mean yes. Nay, nay. When you say no, mean no. And don't say anything more than that. We read that in Matthew 5, 37. In addition to the Anabaptists, there are others also today who take a stand against oath swearing, but for less of a religious reason and for more of an individualistic reason. I am an individual. I have rights as an individual. I do not have to commit myself to you. I do not have to submit myself to you, in other words. And therefore, it will be argued that part of the freedom of being an individual is that I don't take an oath. And now, you may be suspicious, as I am, that in at least a good number of these scenarios, what's really at the bottom of it is, I know what I'm doing if I take an oath. I'm not going to. Because as I lie... I will not call God as my witness. In other words, my point is that more common approach or argument against oath swearing is not one that ought to find sympathy with you and with me. The Reformed confession and therefore Reformed churches as a whole permit the swearing of oaths. But it's not just a matter of Reformed churches saying we may, of Reformed believers saying we may. It is a matter of Reformed churches and forefathers saying Scripture permits it. We have a response to the argument of the Anabaptists that say you mayn't. And it's because we have a response to them and believe that our Lord Himself permits it that we say an oath is permissible. Not commanded, but permissible. Let's look at the demonstration that our catechism alludes to. Such an oath is founded on God's Word 
and therefore is justly used by the saints both in the Old and New Testament to see that in fact the argument of the Reformed Fathers is biblical. First of all, bear in mind that God himself swore an oath more than once. Psalm 110 verse 4, The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jehovah made an oath in all eternity to Jesus Christ that he would be the mediator. There is the word in Genesis 22 verse 16, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, that in blessing I will bless thee. Jesus Christ also took an oath on his lips. When the high priest said to him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell me whether thou art the Christ. And Jesus said, Thou hast said. Now a common rebuttal to pointing out that Jehovah swore oaths and that Christ did is to say, but we're not God and we're not Christ. Terribly obvious, of course. Nobody here would claim to be either God or Christ. But does that address the matter? And the answer is no, it doesn't. That's not the way to respond because the Scriptures make clear that also the saints, the people of God, may take oaths on our lips. Exodus 22, verse 11, and Numbers 30, verse 2, are two instances in which in the Old Testament, the law of God provides when and how an oath may be taken. If the law of God provides for it, then an oath is permissible. I'll only read Exodus 22, verse 11, starting with verse 10. If a man deliver unto his neighbor an ass or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep, and it die or be hurt or driven away, no man seeing it. You gave me something to take care of while you were gone. When you came back, I can't give it back to you. It's gone. Of course you suspect me of stealing it and of dealing improperly with you. But I say, no, it was stolen. It was beyond my control and ability. Then shall an oath of the Lord be between them both, that he hath not put his hand unto his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept thereof, and he shall not make it good. The law of God provides for taking of oaths in certain circumstances. Abraham required of his servant Eliezer to swear an oath that he would take a wife for Isaac, not of the Canaanites, but of the people of God in Ur of the Chaldees. Jacob made his son swear an oath that when they left the land of Egypt, they would take his bones with them. Paul, in Romans 1 verse 9, says, For God is my witness, and then goes on to speak of something, taking an oath. And even God, in Isaiah 65, 16, as he speaks of the coming day Kingdom of Jehovah God and the Messianic kingdom says, He that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. In the kingdom, there will be oath swearing. So, what does Jesus mean when he says, Swear not at all? I'm limiting myself for the moment to Matthew 5 and we'll return to Matthew 23 later. 
Bear in mind that in Matthew 5, Jesus is speaking to those who say they are the people of God, the servant of the kingdom, about how we ought to relate one to another. And that it can be said that the principle Jesus is setting forth is not only our speech must not involve any lies, but that ideally, in our relationships with each other, an oath would never be needed. Ideally. And yet it was not the purpose of Jesus Christ to overthrow the whole Old Testament law which provided for oaths or to condemn Abraham and Jacob for making oaths or later to cast aspersions on his own apostle who would say, for God is my witness in the power of the Holy Spirit of Christ that inspired him. If I need an oath of you, or you of me, it is a sad day in the church of Jesus Christ. But now when you step out in the world, it should be no surprise that an oath is needed, sometimes required, and that you and I may take them. And so the last big question to ask in the first point is not whether oaths are permissible now, but when are oaths permissible? This is not a wholesale uh, suggestion that we take an oath freely, all the time, anytime, but there are guidelines. And the catechism indicates what they are too, when it says either when the magistrates demand it of the subjects, or when necessity requires us thereby to confirm fidelity and truth to the glory of God and the safety of our neighbor. Four scenarios in which it is permissible to swear an oath. The first has to do with the form of the oath. It is sworn in the name of Jehovah. That was a point that Jesus was addressing with the Pharisees in Matthew 22. You encourage people to swear by the gold of the temple. And you say it's okay to swear by the gift on the altar. But, how hypocritical. We must swear in the name of Jehovah God and not by any other creature for only Jehovah knows the heart. That first, when sworn in the name of of Jehovah. Secondly, when sworn for the right purpose, and the purpose is confirming the truth of what I say in the sight of God. In other words, don't be so quick, children. If you're trying to convince your friend of the truth of what you're saying, to add the words, I swear. Don't be so quick to do that. Just relating a story, it might be an amazing story, it might be one that leaves someone saying, wow, that's almost too good to be true, is not the sort of occasion that requires an oath and does not serve any other purpose than trying to convince your fellow friend that you mean what you say. There is no safety 
at issue, and there is no authority requiring you to take an oath. And that's a lesson not just children, but all of us need to take to heart. We do use, I'm speaking generally now, we do use oath formulas rather quickly. I swear, or by George, or some sort of thing. We need to be sure we're not being rash. Then more to the point, thirdly, when sworn in the right situation, the right situation is that an authority requires it of you. Because this authority is investigating a matter. That's why a magistrate may require it. Some civil magistrate, this is not limited to a judge. We think of a magistrate as a judge. But by magistrate in the catechism is meant anyone who represents the civil government and is carrying out a function on behalf of the civil government. And they can't just assume that anyone they come to and come across will tell them the truth. They put men under oath invariably because men are liars. And the civil government understands that. So, in submission to the civil government, and recognizing that the civil government does not distinguish between the ungodly, unbelieving liar and the child of God who's resolved to speak the truth, and because the civil government doesn't make that distinction, it requires an oath of all, we may take an oath in such an instance. If it's the magistrate, and therefore really the authority, then when... Yes, it's a sad scenario, but when a consistory requires us to take an oath as it investigates a matter, or a father or mother requires an oath of their children, then they ought to be children who understand well enough what an oath is and what taking it involves. Such a person may take an oath. And then the Catechism speaks of necessity requiring us to confirm faithfulness and truth to God's glory and the neighbor's safety. And the passage I read from Exodus 22 is a case in point. It is to the glory of God that I, if I am the one to whom my neighbor entrusted some possession, and now I am unable to return that possession to him, but it is through no fault of mine, it is to the glory of God that I would take an oath. And it is to the safety of the neighbor, or at least the well-being of the church of Christ, and that there be no hard feelings and suspicions in the church of Jesus Christ, that I take such an oath. And then remember, as Hebrews 6 reminds us, that when you take an oath in such an instance, for both parties involved, The matter is finished. There is to be now no further suspicion of my neighbor, but there is to be only this in the mind of the man who thinks he's been wronged. I leave the matter with Jesus Christ. And he will, in the day of judgment, bear witness to the truth. Finally, as regards when oaths are permissible, when they are sworn in a proper understanding of the saving work of God in Jesus Christ. 
Including the fact that Christ is the mediator. Christ is the one who be exalted and is exalted and will judge. Christ is the one who, bear, who will bear false witness. And although Lord's Day 37 doesn't say anything specifically that leads me to make this point, the third commandment does. I swear, or rather, I use the name of God and Jesus Christ as the revelation of that name is the point I'm making now. So when I swear an oath, I do so looking for judgment day. And that's why, though the magistrate may require an oath of anybody, yet even then it can't expect the ungodly unbeliever to use that oath rightly. For the ungodly unbeliever does not confess Jesus Christ as the mediator, Messiah, as the one who will judge, as the one who hears every single word I say already now, as the one who passes judgment whether I take an oath or not, on whether I spoke truth or not. The world does not acknowledge that. You do. I do. And therefore, to take an oath is swearing religiously. Not Boy, you can expect that person to swear five times today. Not swearing religiously the way the world would view the term, but swearing as an act of worship to Jehovah God. Now, having set forth at length what oaths God permits, the question is what oaths does He hate? There are many of them in many forms, but they all violate the principles already set forth, so that I can be rather brief in enumerating them. There is, according to Lord's Day 36, cursing. Taking the name of God on my lips to try to force judgment, condemnation, and damnation on you. And therefore included in this would be to say, curse you. Damn you, or go to hell. None of those expressly used the name Jehovah or God, but in all of them I asserted, if I speak that way, that I have a prerogative that is due only to God and Jesus Christ Himself. I may not use such language. God hates it. Perjury, which Jesus refers to when he says, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, Matthew 5.33. Perjury is lying under oath. And when I take an oath, perjury can take the form of giving a completely false statement, but taking an oath so that you try, I want you to believe me, and I've really led you astray, or perjury can even take the form of just twisting the matter a bit. So that although I gave five facts that are true facts and to the point, yet the sixth thing I said twisted it. And in twisting it, I am no longer giving a true presentation that's perjury. And that's why the world often has us swear to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth. 
Thirdly, rash swearing includes not doing at all what I've taken an oath or promised to do, as well as it includes a hasty interjection of an oath, which I've already referred to a little earlier as being a sin to which we are prone. In addition, Lord's Day 37 and the principle set forth in 37 would underscore that any oath taken in a wrong form is displeasing to Jehovah God. When we do not use His name aright, He is not pleased. And therefore, let us add this point. That to swear an oath which would put the principles of an earthly organization as my foremost priority, and therefore exalt my allegiance to that organization above my allegiance to Jehovah is sin. I'm referring to the kind of oath a person takes when he joins perhaps a labor union, but certainly a secret organization or a lodge. And one of the reasons Reformed churches, especially Faithful Reformed churches have opposed lodge membership and membership in other secret organizations is that it requires an oath of a member to put the principles of the organization as one's highest priority and to be secret about what goes on in that organization. And there the child of God says, I can't do that. My first allegiance is to Jehovah God. Now it's in this way that the Pharisees are sinning. It's for this reason that the Lord addresses them as He does in Matthew 23. And in addressing them, He, the judge, says, Woe unto you. That is, sorrow, judgment, condemnation will come on you. And all the miseries that are part of it for your hypocrisy. These oaths God hates. Why? Very simply, in them we used his name in vain. George and Peter and Mary, by whom one might swear, can't bear witness to the truth of what's in my heart. Can't punish me if I swear falsely. Only Jehovah God can. And therefore, even if I say, but I didn't use His name, He says, but you used an oath formula. And if you use an oath formula without using the name of Jehovah God, then you have also used his name in vain. You say you didn't use his name. What happened is you ascribed his glory to a creature. Remember now what the third commandment itself said, that the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And let us examine ourselves and see how also we are worthy of condemnation And stand guilty before God for sins against the third commandment, also as regards to swearing 
oaths. Let's not take that lightly. Let's acknowledge that when we've done so, he's been highly offended. Let's acknowledge not only that we need the grace and strength from Jesus Christ to do better in the future, but that we need the blood of Jesus Christ to cover our sins and to earn for us and provide for us a basis to be brought into fellowship with Jehovah God again, made citizens of His kingdom. And that's an amazing token of God's grace that He would take a sinner who's used His name wrongly and say, I'll forgive your sins and I'll give you the power to do it aright. Standing in awe now of the grace God showed us in Christ and of His mercies, let us ask, so then what speech does God love? And let us look to Him for the grace to use that speech. In the first place, I can say that speech that God loves regards the use of any oath that's in conformity to the occasion and the manner and the form that is permissible. And I've gone through all of that enough in the first and second points that I don't mean to say any more about it. Now let's come to those words of Jesus more fully. But let your yea be yea. Let your communication be yea, yea, and nay, nay. Very directly and specifically, to anybody who says, I am a child of God, the blood of Jesus Christ has redeemed me, has put me into His kingdom, His Holy Spirit has renewed me, There is a broader question than merely are oaths permissible and if so, when and in what form. And the broader question is, what do you speak? Or let me put it this way. If you broke the candy dish, And mom asked you, did you break the candy dish? Would you say no? Or would you say, not really? Or would you say, I think my brother did? Or would you say, yes, mother I broke the candy dish. Or if you are involved in an accident or witness an accident and are speaking to a policeman and in fact you did contribute to the cause of the accident and bear at least partial if not full responsibility, are you going to tell him that? Are you going to be open with him and frank? Or are you going to do your best to cover yourself 
and try to put somebody else in a worse light. Well, now we face these situations far more often, don't we, than the matter of an oath. And when Jesus says that our speech must be yea, yea, let your yes be yes, and your no be no, He means that in every single word we speak, we must be ready to accept responsibility. And that goes against my old man of sin. In fact, the Pharisee in me, and because it's a Pharisee in me, I think it's the Pharisee in each one of us, is very willing to say, yes, I know the law of God. Yes, I must keep it. And I do. I do this. I do this. I do this. I fight against that. I fight against that. I fight against that. But now, my shame or honor is at stake. My name or reputation. I either need to save face or I need to acknowledge what a bad person I am in front of everybody. And of course, what kicks in is the old man. And I do my best to twist and manipulate. Jesus says to the citizens of the kingdom in Matthew 5, don't swear oaths wrongly, but stop a minute, even before you get into the question of our oaths permissible, Are you the sort of person who speaks truth? And you know, mother won't take an oath. She probably wouldn't anyway in the matter of a broken candy dish. But she won't take an oath of a child who says, yes, mother, I did. And a good sister will not take an oath of any member of the congregation who comes in and says, yes, elders, I have sinned. And although the magistrates might still take an oath of a child of God, they will learn that when that child of God speaks yes and means yes, and speaks no and means no, that the oath was, it was redundant. It, was, it wasn't even needed This person tells the truth. When we do that, then let someone put us under oath. It won't change the witness we give. And the motivation to speak truth, let our yea be yea and our nay nay, is not just that someday we'll stand before Jesus Christ in judgment and He'll bear witness, but that today, today, I'm walking with Him a sanctified, godly life. Today, I desire to receive from Him the assurance of His love, the knowledge of His love, and it won't be based on how I act, it's based on His own work, but I can only know His love and enjoy that love in the way of obedience. Today, if I lie, I will have a guilty conscience. And I will not be at peace. Your yea can be yea, and your nay can be nay. 
For Jesus Christ shows that His atoning work is complete by renewing us, regenerating us, loosing us from our depravity, giving us a heart that loves God, giving us to seek God and His glory at all times, having been renewed after the image of God in Jesus Christ, who only spoke truth, and having His Word and His life implanted into you and me, we go forth as prophets. We go forth, as we learned last week, in His name, with His authority, and we say, I serve God, and as I desire the well-being of the church of Jesus Christ, and as I seek the safety of the neighbor in the world outside of the church, I will speak truth. And then, in the day of judgment, Jesus Christ will say, yes, you spoke truth. Well done. And I won't say that I earned part of heaven. But I'll say, thanks be to God for that grace and that power also. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, give us to speak in a way that thou dost love. The way Christ did. A way that brings honor and glory to thee. But keep from our lips both lying and any improper oath that we might show that we are citizens of thy kingdom. For Jesus' sake, amen.